Super 32 is in the books, folks, which means it's time to start planning for the Spartan Combat Nationals coming back to Jacksonville, Florida this April 8th through the 10th. Russell Beach, Folkstyle, Freestyle, and Greco at the Spartan Combat Nationals. Register now at SpartanCombat.com. I used to love to be nervous. I used to love to, you know, think about, you know, I just as soon as you touch hands, I mean, I, I used to love the battle of wrestling. I mean, wrestling in itself, just its purity is just a great sport. And I mean, I like to bleed. I like to make people bleed. And We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. We're back after a four-day hiatus. We have a new audio documentary coming out in the spring that I've just been in the rabbit hole on, folks, so I apologize for not getting another episode out. But here we are, Friday, November 5th, episode two for the week, and it's the great Oscar Wood. If you've listened to the Chael Sonnen episodes, and I encourage that you do, Chael talks about Oscar Wood as an organ legend, and indeed he is one, folks. Oscar Wood was the first person ever to win four junior national Greco-Roman titles. Alan Freed was the first to do it in freestyle, but Oscar Wood was the first to do it in Greco. His senior year at Fargo, he won a double title, his brother won a double title, and they were both outstanding wrestler of the tournaments. Wow. Oscar Wood and his brother were phenomenal. Um, Oscar went on to Oregon State, where he was a two-time All-American, and then he went on to the Olympics in 2004, and I just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do as well. As always, folks, let's give it up for Oscar Wood. But before we get to the interview, shout out to our fan of the week, Tyrone Seaman. That's Ty Seaman on the gram, a listener of this show, and one we greatly appreciate. So thank you very much. As always, we're presented by Spartan Combat. Give Spartan Combat some love. SpartanCombat.com. Tell them RW sent you. And that's it, folks. Let's get to the interview with the great Oscar Wood. The great Oscar Wood. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing? Good. Welcome to the podcast. Honored to have you. Thank you. Absolutely. Good to be here. You just returned from a hunting trip. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of on and off for a month or so. You know, archery season's about a month long. And so we had a good time 
had a real good time. What are you hunting? Got a buck. Got how about that? What are you guys hunting this time of year? Well, I didn't draw an elk tag this year uh, in archery season, but had a mule deer tag just up in the mountains in Colorado, just about an hour and a half away from Colorado Springs. Is that something where you guys are like sitting in tree stands or are you stalking and, uh, and going from there most of the time? Oh yeah. Don't really do much tree stand hunting and on the West side, you know, I mean, that's more of a white tail kind of a hunt and we mostly have mule deer. I mean, there's white tail right behind my house here, but I, I like to go up in the mountains and kind of get away. That's, that's just as much of any of it. Just being up there with your buddies and stuff. And are you camping? Like tents and that, that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Well, we have a big, we, we, we camp pretty comfortable. We got a real big wall tent and, and a big covering over the whole thing. And so if it rains, we got cots and mattresses on the cots. And we're, we're pretty soft these days. And so it's a pretty elaborate cooking establishment. And, and so especially if you're going to spend that much time up there, it's nice to be comfortable. A little home away from home. Any wrestlers on that trip? Well, uh, yeah, Jason Kutz. He's he was at our main camp, and and Glenn Naradka, and who else? And then some people that you know, like there was a couple guys missing this year, but like Aaron Kowal goes up, and Brian Tillery. I don't know if people know him very much, but and then this year, I in the middle of the season. Uh, when muzzleloader season opened up, I went with Mike Zadik and, and Bill up into a different unit just up north of, of our unit, and that was a pretty fun trip. We really roughed it. We were in a, was that, one of those houses, Airbnbs or <laughs> whatever you call it. It was pretty funny. Airbnb? Yeah. So it was Airbnb. Yeah, that's it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Bill, he hooked us up with, with, I mean, we had beds to choose from and... <laughs> I chose the couch just because the TV was there. Awesome. But yeah, it was a good time. Good my, time. My brother and I always talk, you know, we live in Chicago. It's like, we would love to get into the hunting. It just sounds so fun to be out there and uh, to get the meat and, and just the time outside it must be amazing. Yeah, it is. I mean, the meat is definitely just a bonus and, um, and it's the sport that you can just kind of keep doing and, and, and that's the, that's the greatest part about it is, is just the, you know, the, the beauty of the mountains and, and, you know, just the crisp air and it's, there's a lot to it. And, you know, like we always say, you know, you spend a month kind of hunting them, but you spend the rest of the year admiring them and, and because they're such awesome animals. That's a great way to put it. I hope to someday get out there and experience that. And, you know, you mentioned hunting's a sport you can do forever. Wrestling, obviously, you can't, and that was one of your first loves. It looks like you had a comeback in 2011, but, you know, really, really from the late 80s all the way through, we're deeply involved in the sport. Take us back to Gresham, Oregon in yeah. the early days, man. What was it like growing up there? Well, it was good. I mean, it was – wrestling was, you know, obviously – at some times it seemed easy and I mean, it was a lot of hard work to make the matches, you know, somewhat easy. And, but, uh, we had a pretty intense, um, club, you know, you're so Oregon Cobras and, and it was, uh, 
it was a lot of wrestling. <laughs> we'll put it that way. When did you start? Started wrestling in 1979. I was four. And I actually don't remember the day I started. I think that's kind of speaks of how long I've been doing it. I don't remember an actual first practice or anything. Just kind of always did it. I mean, I had older cousins that older cousins that wrestled and my uncles and my dad and and just kind of fell into it. So me and my brother started started pretty young. And what kind of you said the club you were in, what was the tradition there and the legacy of some of the Oregon wrestling back then? Well, when I was in high school, I mean, like my freshman year at juniors, I mean, we had five people in the Greco finals and three or four in the freestyle finals. I mean, it was, Oregon was, Oregon was a state to contend with. That's for sure. Real tough. As a matter of fact, our club, our club, uh, we would have, you know, these intensive training. It'd be two weeks long and we'd wrestle from 6.30 in the morning until 6 at night with an hour lunch break. You know, we did like an hour of Camp Olympics and probably like 45 minutes of visualization and massage. And then, but all the rest was wrestling. I mean, it was. What? It was a grind. It was a grind. Yeah. What time of the year was so, that? Like during the season or like a summer thing? Uh, I remember because it was always on my birthday. Just so, like in the summer, it was over, you know, and it was right before junior nationals. That was what was all for is for, you know, training. And we'd have guys come from all over. And that's actually how I met the Zaddicks is uh, they would come out from Montana. And so I've known them since I was probably eight or nine years old. And, and uh, well, Mikey was running around and punching. You had to watch him because he'd get you good. He says it's because I tortured him, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> how old was Bill back then? Your age? He's old. No. I think he's, I think he's, I think he's two years older than me. And so he, I, maybe three years. I do know that he was definitely mean. I mean, I was, when I was a kid, uh, I'll never forget that he, he looked at me and he was in the, you know, in the other group wrestling. We never really wrestled because he was bigger than me and he didn't like me. And so he grabbed my shirt and he was like, <laughs> You know, and he, he says he pretended to spit in it, but he used to try to torture me there for a <laughs> bit. So, <laughs> I mean, those. Uh, so don't let his nice persona. Yeah. Those are the what days, man. I said those are the days back oh, then. Yeah. Wrestling was uh, is a lot different than it is now. I mean, you talk about those training camps, you know, basically 12 hours a day. And that's that's insane. But but the one thing you said I want to go back to is Dang. you guys, you guys would spend time visualizing even back then. Yeah. Yeah. We'd have like the tapes and, and he'd have these, you know, I don't, I can't, I wish I could miss remember some of the songs like during warm up even like he'd play these positive motivation songs and, and then he'd have like, you know, these where, you know, you just laying down and you're just, and uh, it's talking about the one guy that, you know, he's, he's swimming and actually it was a lady. I can't remember any of the de- the names or anything, but just like, he, she was swimming. I'm pretty sure it was Al, Alcatraz. That's where the, that's the jail, right? Yeah. Yep. So he's swimming across from one shore to there. Anyway, she didn't make it. And, uh, and then the next time she did it geared up and, and 
she the originally she said I couldn't see the fit you know I couldn't see the finish line and then the second time she did it it was a really foggy day and uh anyway she made it and they're like well how'd you make it this time like well I could see it and they're like well there's no way you could see it It was way too foggy and she said I could see it in my mind you know like wow anyways he had uh, all these different kind of paired like no no other no other matter of fact it was kind of a downplay like when I went to college I never did any extra you know because how can you do more extra than you know from 12th grade down and so I just basically went to college and then you just did what the coaches you know told you to do but I learned later on you know through hey we might need to do a little bit more you know like on your own so so you so had just was, done so much in high school that you felt like you didn't need to do any more in college essentially no, no, like, like, I'm just talking like beyond what the coach had told you to do is gotcha. what I'm saying. That's yeah. Just the extra. And because there's no way you could do extra. There was no time to do extra, you know, at Mr. Sprague's, you know, under his watch. Yeah. No yeah. one was going to outwork us. That. Cause you guys were already doing so much. And, and you mentioned that was kind of a prelude to Fargo. I mean, you are, one of the all-time kings of Fargo, the first four-time Greco champ ever in juniors. And your first year, you, know, you had none other than future Olympian Brandon Paulson. Talk us through that 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 match. Yeah, I mean, luckily, I didn't really know who he was. You know, I was just a freshman. And, and uh, yeah, we, we went out there, and, and I believe I beat him. It was either six to four or six to two. I got him in a... I hit him with a three-point move right at the start, and well, that was a long time ago. I don't really remember the uh, how I scored the other points, but I believe it was a front headlock, you know, from from our feet, you know, like not the head and arm, but just yeah. front headlock. Yeah, it was pretty good. I took fifth in freestyle that year, lost to I can't remember. I can't yeah. he was a senior he was the he was the poster remember how they make those posters mm-hmm. the a6 he was the the poster he was good lost a couple of matches that day I can't remember who I lost to those 90 1991 <laughs> and when you were training I mean everything you read about you were that you were just dominant from an early age through high school what do you attribute your edge to like how did you get so far ahead in the high school days I would obviously attribute to the caliber of workout partners and, and training partners and the, and the technique that I had from Mr. Sprague, but you know, my family were all Masons. And so if I wasn't wrestling, I was packing hard for my dad. And, and, uh, I don't ever really remember thinking that, boy, that guy was really, really strong. I think I was, I think I was pretty strong and, and you match that with technique and it, it helped, helped quite a bit. And what about during the folk style season? What kind of training regiment were you doing two a days? Well, I would wrestle, you know, at the high school, but then Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and lots of Saturdays, I would go into the club and train. Like we would get home on, on those nights, you know, at, you know, 9, 10, 11, sometimes 11 o'clock, depends on what, mood Mr. Sprague would say how many times he'd say one more <laughs> and what was his background 
he never wrestled. Um, uh, he walked, wandered into a wrestling room or a gym once and saw some people wrestling and he, you know, he was a good football player, all state, I believe. And anyways, uh, he, his, his boy got beat, you know, just kind of threw him into there and it kind of ticked him off and he, they went down to, and he learned, studied, bought books and, and learned wrestling. And, and he, you know, Marky Sprague was, you know, a world champion when he was 10 years old in the 15 and 16 year old age group. Wow. Yeah, he was, he was pretty tough. And so this Mr. Sprague was studying not only wrestling technique, but visualization, massages, like he was just really into it, huh? Yeah, he was a very successful individual. Like he, he had a, owned a boat marina. He had a tennis club. The athletic club we worked out in was a big, you know, it had an Olympic-sized pool in it, and it was his. Um, he was a very su- successful individual, and and he, you know, everything that he's always, he's still, he's 80 plus years old and he's still coaching kids and dragging them around and, and I found gotta ways interview through him. the, you know, the virus. Oh, you have to, you'll have to, you have to, I'll call him today. Tell him you got to get it. I'll give you the, give you the, his, his information. Well, that he's would, an interview. I'll tell you that. That he's would be interview. awesome, man. Gosh. Yeah. What about the Russells and, um, and like those Portland state teams, did he have a lot to do with some of those guys who went on to wrestle at Portland state and win all those D two titles? Yeah. I mean, but it was peninsula and USA uh, were the two clubs in Oregon that, and a lot. So there's peninsula guys and Oregon guys, but there towards the end, like it was very divided there for a while, but respect came in because Mr. Pittman he also, uh, I don't believe he ever wrestled a day in his life. And, you know, the peninsula had a bunch of, you know, all throughout my, my, you know, career. So wow. there was, so it was both of them. It was both of them. And that's just such and a good Oregon, tradition. Was there. It was a big deal. Yeah. It really was back, back when we were running it. <laughs> I mean, think about that now going out to Fargo, and having five finalists is ridiculous. I mean, a lot of times when like team Illinois wins, they'll have a couple, but you know, that's, that's insane. And now you, people think of Oregon and maybe they don't remember those days, but obviously everyone on your generation does. And you look at, you know, what went on at Oregon state at that time when they got a trophy at the national tournament, you know, the year after Mark Johnson left. Yeah. Well, we actually got, uh, we got, when I was there, we got three trophies. We took, second and and fourth twice no kidding so yeah i think we got fourth my i think it was my either freshman or junior year but i know we got two fourth place trophies while we were there i mean there you go look at i mean that's i mean that's so hard to do in college wrestling crack that top four especially during that time when, you know, Iowa had a stranglehold on it, Oklahoma state, and then Minnesota was just kind of up and coming. One of the years you wrestled yeah. with Les Gutches. Tell us about that animal, man. Everyone just speaks volumes about Les Gutches. Well, he, you know, he was that guy that, you know, he brought his thing to make his food and he wouldn't change his routine. 
you know, he wouldn't let anything get in the way that he could control. Um, he did, every, I mean, I will tell you this, him, I did beat him in arm wrestling. He will deny it. I beat him and uh, Chad Flack. He was our buddy that he was on the same team. He was a senior when I think it was so it would be like my true first redshirt freshman year is when I wrestled with him. And, and our buddy died our, I think it was his senior year right after the season. And well, anyways, Chad Flack was the 191 pounder and, and uh, Gutches was a 77 pounder. And I beat them both in arm wrestling. Les will definitely deny it. But yeah, he was him and his brother. And a lot of his credit, I mean, like Les would tell you, like, because they had um, Chad Ranner, he had his brother, uh, Jason Gutches, you know, he just, and he had Randy Couture in the room and he had Chad Flack. He had good workout partners and he'll be the first to say that. But he was just, he did everything right, was the, was the, and they had great senior leadership too. They were, they were, they were really good dudes. And was that someone who you grew up knowing? Knowing? Well, so he was, he, the first time I, the first time I remember Les Gutches was when he beat Matt Sprague. That's Coach Sprague's son. Matt Sprague won state when he was a freshman at a hundred and I think it was like 67 pounds. And then he broke his neck his sophomore year. And so he, like in the first match, and then he came back his junior year and Les beat Matt Sprague in the, in the semifinals. And that is when I knew who Les was. Cause you know, he was clear on the South end of the state and, and I was probably self-absorbed in myself. <laughs> you know, like I don't, that's the first time I can remember him cause he, and I wouldn't have remembered him until later on if he wouldn't have beat, you know, Matt Sprague because that was a big deal. What kind of an upset was that? Or what kind of an atmosphere was that at the tournament when that went down? It was a blow, you know, one of those people going crazy clapping and Les did a backflip. I remember that. And uh, Matt was pretty crushed. And then Matt came and won his senior year, you know, but he had, a, I think he didn't wrestle for a solid year and a half. He broke his neck pretty good in the wrestling match. Dang. So it was just great to come back. Seriously. And maybe Matt Sprague went on to you. Go ahead. I was just going to say to compete at that level after an injury is incredible. Yeah. 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 He's Matt. I talked to him on the phone periodically and he's like still into jujitsu and stuff. And he loves, you know, getting the sweat on still. And he's got some boys that are kind of into some stuff. And, but yeah, it's good. Those are those are fun stories to hear about. I didn't know how how deep it all went with uh, Coach Sprague's son and, and his success. Yeah, yeah, Marky, he was he was highly recruited, and he ended up going to Arizona State, and and you know some just how things happen sometimes. It just you know just quite didn't develop. Right. And what about your recruitment? After you had won the four Fargo titles and then you won freestyle your senior year, you and your brother were both OW, which is just unbelievable. What was the recruiting like for you? Yeah. It was, um, you know, obviously the Oregon, Oregon State, Nebraska. Um, who else was it? Can't even remember. But I, I, I made a decision real quick. I only went on one visit. 
I went to Oregon State because that team was there was nowhere else I was going, and so I didn't I didn't even visit Oregon. Chuck Kearney was pretty pretty upset with me, but you know I just really had it in my mind, and I you know you hate letting people down, and you just don't want to go and lead people on, and and I remember feeling that, and I thought it was just easier to to say sorry, Chuck, I'm going to Oregon State, you know, and, and that's what I did. And, and because man, that was a, and speaking of that college stuff, I'll, this just came to my mind, but you know, I was pretty successful and, and I got in that room and the guys that would never, were never going to make the lineup. I couldn't even touch their legs. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I lost it. This is over. <laughs> you know, like, what? <laughs> what am I going to do? How am I going to tell my parents that this is, this is not going to work out for me. And, and, uh, but then, you know, you caught those guys and then you, then you eventually, you know, Bob McMahomedy, you'd get a takedown on him every once in a while, then the Radka brothers and, and some other names I'm forgetting right now, but it was, it was pretty funny though. It was kind of eye opening because that, that college is a massive jump, you know, at that, and that's why I just remember that being a big jump. Even for someone like you, though, who even for someone like you who had won four Fargo titles, it was still a jump. It was. It was. And like I said, and then we had the Steiners in there coaching and and they would just collegiate grind you, you know, like they <laughs> they they were <laughs> they they were good at that. But uh, yeah, it, how, was, it was how tough on top were they? Oh, they were pretty tough, especially after they got you tired. And then they knew it. Like, though, you know, you, I can remember there towards the end, you know, you'd like you go takedowns and sorry, Steiners, you get them for every once in a while, you know, pretty, but man, when they get on top and you were tired, it was, it, they could throw that little, that little high, that little high uh, leg right in and grind on you pretty good. Oh, man. That, those you guys are animals. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Joe Wells, like he wasn't scared to bite you or, or anything. Just watch his, just watch your arm roll. He was a, he was a, he was a pretty funny guy. I liked him. And were you guys all pulling a ton of weight back then? Or were you guys ahead of the times and not doing that? Whoa. So that's that, you know, 97 era when those kids died. Mm-hmm. And so freshman year, I went 134 sophomore year I started 134 and we made weight and and uh I told I can remember you know it was hard to get all I had to do was just get to the scale and I could you know eat and drink but um because it was day before weigh-ins and I told Joe I go day before weigh-ins so I mean you could crush yourself and so I told Joe I was like I think I'm a 142 pounder you know and and then like a week later or two weeks at the most, they changed the rule and added the seven. And I just rolled with that. So one week I was wrestling 134 and like three weeks later, I was wrestling 149. And that was the best, best ever. All of a sudden, you know, wrestling was enjoyable. I was still cutting weight for 149, you know, but I would just, you know, use when they, you know, changed the two hour or one hour weigh in, whatever it was. I would just use, you know, you would just warm up and, you know, lose six, eight pounds. And it was, you know, it'd come off like 
in you know an hour just easy just with wrestling you know and not any sauna or any of that stuff and so man that was the best ever since that weight cut and you know stopped because 134 must have been insane for you it was a hard cut it was a it was a hard cut i think i think i was walking around at probably you know 55 56 57 somewhere in there so it was it wasn't fun i i remember me and my uh buddy he was his favorite story was uh we he was like 18 pounds over when we were you know because he was a t- the 24 pounder or 18 pounder then I, I think and he was like 18 over and he it was early morning before class and he ha- knew he had to go cut some weight and and he was down and depressed and then he he walked in and I was already in the sauna He's like, how much are you over? I'm like, and I said 19 or 20, whatever I said. And he's like, oh, good. You know, like, I'm not the only one. And he tells that story quite a bit. But it was, it was some hard weight cuts. And it's such a... I only, the wrestling. Easily. I only bring it up because yeah. it's just such a, a horrible thing to go through. And it's like, I want peop- all these parents who are listening to hear about it so they don't ever do that, you know, or that hopefully kids now are out of that oh. weight cutting. It's, I hope it's way different now. And I think it is. It is because the you can't like if you cut a whole bunch of weight. I can't even imagine cutting that weight and wrestling even five hours later. You know, it. And so the best thing that they ever did was just change the, the you know the day that the yeah. you weigh in the day you wrestle an hour or whatever is before. And then you can't cut that weight. And so it, it's it's it was great. And I, you know, it was sad. It took those three kids, those three kids, I think one was from Michigan State or Michigan. Mm-hmm. One was from like a Wisconsin school. And like, I can't remember, but that was a big deal. I mean, you should not die because of, you know, something like that. And to think there had been college wrestling going on for so long, no one had passed away losing weight. And then three die within a couple of weeks is so wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't want to speak, but I just remember something about like, remember like creatine. I don't even know if that's around yeah. or not anymore, yeah. but it was something about, I don't want to blame it on that. I mean, it was definitely the weight cut, but I heard it was like something doing with, you the know, heart. with you need. Yeah. You need something with a lot of water with creatine or something. Interesting. But yeah, yeah. I can't remember what the deal was. Part of me says there's a documentary in that and like to, to show like how the weight cuttings change, but it's such a dark topic, you know, it's like, who's going to sit down to watch Mm -hmm. that. But that's just such a seminal moment in college wrestling, because I think that, I mean, it definitely made it the wrestling better because people wrestle better when they're, when they're not cutting as much. hundred percent, you know, absolutely. You get the, so basically everyone bumps up, you know, you get the same, same people wrestling the same people, except they feel better. Right. It's a no brainer. Yeah. And so talk us through your first time to the big dance, 1996. 96. Where was this? 96. Where are we at? I think 96 was at Iowa city. Your first year wrestling at division one nationals. Yeah. NCAA. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I went there and um, 
trying to think who I lost to. I won a couple matches and then or won one match and got put into those crazy rounds, man. Those were tough. And uh um yeah. What memories do you have really of, remember. of your uh just you know the first time you won in the blood round there and getting to that all American podium? I do think that I was wrestling a guy from Kent to to like either metal or not metal. Yeah. And I I'm pretty sure it was overtime and I had to ride him out and I sure surely can't remember his name, but, but I, I remember being really happy that, uh, that I, that I got him and that stinking year of Washington got me the next round. And man, I wanted to punch that guy. I, I mean, him talked about this a few times. I haven't talked to him in a decade or more, but I used to, I used to, <laughs> I used to really want to punch him. Little guy jumped between my legs. Oh man. Why is that? I, Why you, you know, I just have him. I would have him. Well, he was just he had that little short neck and a big head, bigger than mine even. And I just couldn't. He was the one that was tough to death grip and and uh and he was a little springer arounder. And if you had him, like he was jumping and flipping and he was going, you had to secure your points with him. I actually wrestled him a couple times. Matter of fact, the next year I was wrestling him, and I at the time I I was 26 or 28 and oh, and then went down there to Fresno, and uh, and it was just before Pac 10s, and I uh, hurt my knee and had to get it all scoped up, and didn't wrestle until didn't wrestle one practice, and then went to Pac 10s, and and as uh, soon as I was got to fourth, I forfeited, you know, just forfeited to fourth because my knee was still hurting pretty good. And, and that's back when I was cut, cutting weight. And so my sophomore year, I didn't make weight at um, NCAAs, so which that was no a really way. downer of my career. Yeah. So you, didn't what's your weight. record at the time, besides the two forfeits at Pac-10s? Undefeated? Well, and then the, the, I'd never technically lost a match, right? you know, other than like, I lost, I forfeited, Euro was beating me, or it was tied when I got hurt. Mm-hmm. I do remember that. And then the Pac-10s, you know, I I don't think I, I think I forfeited. I know I forfeited, uh, I think I forfeited both to, you know, as soon as I got in to the fourth or better, because that's how many Pac-10s took then. But yeah, and I got, you know, like I say, we're cutting so much weight and then you really couldn't practice and, and my knee was still probably hurt. And so, you know, how, when, when the going gets tough, if you're not really mentally into it, that weight cut might've just turned into be uh, next year kind of a thing. You know, I, I still, I still, uh, still bothers me that I didn't make weight though. I mean, think about this. You, you're all American as a freshman, and you come back as a sophomore, basically undefeated, and you don't make weight. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest stories of the tournament, and I don't remember it happening in a long time. I mean, how'd you process that in the days and weeks afterwards? Well, you know, you got sent home. I remember just feeling like the biggest memory of it is I had aunts and uncles and cousins and and parents out there, and you know, that's you can't change the plane ticket, so but. I got sent home, you know, they, they could change mine. And so I, I was sent home and it didn't even let you stay. 
No. Oh, no. man. Is that the year no, Jail got, got flown I back, never... too? Because he was... I don't he, know. He got called out there because he was an alternate, and then he got in the weigh-in room, and he went up to his coach. He's like, hey, it looks like the guy who was supposed to be out is weighing in. They're like, oh, yeah, you're not wrestling. And that was at the Unidome. That was... Then that was... The, the, I never stepped foot into that building in my entire life. So I can't remember where weigh-ins were. Maybe... It was there and it was on the outskirts, but I never actually walked in and looked and, you know, saw the inside of the stadium. I got sent home the next day. Oh, man. What an iconic Nationals, too. That was a crazy year with Gable going out. And so did you even, like, get to the weigh-ins and not make it, or you just threw the talent before that even happened? Well, I stepped on the scale knowing that I wasn't going to be on, you know. And, man, the story even gets worse. Jason Buse, he was an All-American the next year, and he was our 20, and he didn't make weight at Pac-10s. And my brother, Isaac, uh, which I don't know if you know, he passed away here a couple years ago. I did but, know uh, that. Sorry to hear um, that. He, yeah, he didn't make weight either at the NCAAs. So we, we, we had three guys at the Pac-10s, and I, not to put any blame, but somehow randomly – it was decided that at Pac-10s, we were going to, before we left um, to go to Pac-10s, we were going to be within five pounds of, of weight, which that's getting pretty close and you're getting pretty thirsty. And then I think what happened with Jason is, so then he built, you know, then you kind of rehydrate on the way down mm-hmm. and then it just got too, too hard because you kind of had a routine that you would do and it, it was kind of taken away from us in a way to where, you know, that cause that was, cause no one ever missed weight before. And then, then, you know, I, Jason missed weight at pack tens and I mixed weight and Isaac missed weight at nationals. It was, it was I, a big deal there for a bit. I can't believe you and your brother both missed at the nationals. That's insane. And your whole family's there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was brutal. What happened to Isaac? For them. I just felt like, I don't know. I know that, I mean, he just went dry. Like He was in that sauna, you know, and, and when you can't, and you're on the bike, you're on plastics, you're in a sauna and you can't sweat. You can't sweat. I mean, he, he just dried up. He dried up. So like Saturday morning, you and Isaac are, Oh my, I mean, think about that Saturday morning, you guys are back in Oregon and your whole family's at the UNI dome yeah. and oh my God, I can't even imagine what that was like. It, it wasn't not, it wasn't, it wasn't a shining day. We'll, no, we'll put it that way. And then your, your junior year, you come back and this is when the death grip becomes nationally known. And, and by the way, Chael, I, I posted a video of Chael calling it the death grip and it started a Twitter controversy last week and I love it. In the best way possible. Someone's like, it's the cow catcher, it's the whip over, it's gator bacon, it's, it's uh, the death grip. So let's just settle this right here and then. What, what is the death grip? Is it a cow catcher type situation? Well, I've heard, so now are we talking about the death grip when you go straight or are we talking about when you flip, reverse it? So I don't, you tell me what the death grip is because I don't know. So like the death grip is just like basically the cow catcher, you know, when you go take them over the arm. The reason why 
I started reversing it is because people knew about the death grip so much, thanks to uh, Jason Buse and Jake Wiesenhunt, they were the guys wrestling before me and they loved the move too, when just going straight. And so everyone you'd wrestle would hold that you know, elbow in so tight. And so what I did is you just get under, just get on the chin and just like a, you know, reverse front headlock. Yeah. And then you're sitting there waiting for yeah. them. And, and I did it a few times in practice and I'm like, I think this thing's going to work. I think it's going to work, but, but I've always called it the death grip because if, as you know, like you get underneath the head and you're on the arm, everything you can't bridge. I mean, if you bridge, you're just putting yourself on your back and, and all my weights on it, you got to pull me all over the top. It's pretty much, yeah. it's over. If you get hit in it, it's done. I think about Tony Ramos mastering that. He hit that so many times at Iowa. Like, cause you're talking about when you're in a front headlock, you got your right hand on the chin, left hand kind of over yeah. the back and you're hitting that whip over kind of uh -huh. thing. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And then you yeah. would reverse it the other way. I know exactly what you're talking about. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So at 98. Yeah, do is just, come on. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I just said all then all you had to do is just beat him, kind of be waiting there for him on the it was it was a pretty fast move. And you can really suck the wind out of him when you got that head wrenched up like that, too. Yeah, like I said, it's pretty much over. I mean, it really is. Unless you're you have a chance if you're real close to the out of bounds, but if you're in the middle, it's like the ocean. You're not making it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a scary place to have Oscar Wood pulling you into the under underbellies of the ocean there. So 98, <laughs> you go into the nationals, lose a match in the second round. I got to think it's an upset, but then in the wrestlebacks, you just go off. How many people did you pin? I think it was five. I think it was five. Um, I'm pretty sure it was five. Might've been four, but it was at least four. I know that, but it might've been five. All with the death grip? Looked at the brackets. I think so. I think every one of them was. I know when the finals was. I know. I think I think it was. I'm pretty sure. Pulling I'm up the pretty bracket. Sure. Pulling up the bracket right now, my man. All right. 98. Oh, checking. I didn't realize we could check stats here. Catch oh, yeah. me lying. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Just so we can. Uh, first round. You pin the dude from Slippery Rock. Second round, you lose to Mike Hart from Missouri, 10-6. And then in the wrestlebacks, a tech, a win, win, pin, pin. Then you pin the dude from Missouri for third and fourth, the same guy who beat you in the in the second round. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I believe I was beating him pretty good when I pinned him, too. I was uh, – I still – that was a good match. Still gets me a little bit. And talk about your mentality going into, into the NCAA tournament. So, like, when you knew it's, like, Thursday night, second round's about to start, what was your mindset and, it's like, and like, some of your mantras that you would work through? Well, you know, the, it's always pretty much been, you know, like, the work is already – work's already done. And, and I used to love – I used to love to be nervous. I used to love to, you know, think about – you know, I just as soon as you touch hands, I mean, I I used to love the battle of wrestling. I mean, wrestling in itself, just its purity is just a great sport. And I mean, I like to bleed. I like to make people bleed and and out of respect, though, you know, like fun, like 
these are all tough. These are all everyone they wrestled in that kind of tournament is a tough person, you know. And I, I remember, I remember thinking that. And anyways, it's just a great sport. And so you would just love that kind of a moment when both guys are going at it, thinking they can win. Yes, yeah, I do. I I do remember. Yeah, I loved warming up. I loved. I loved, really, really loved it. I mean, it's. I haven't really thought about it in a long time. I'm kind of. I haven't actually been on the wrestling mat. Um, I think I went out to that. I was telling you earlier about that Chad Flack. They have a a camp every time we raise some money for for uh, his high school and stuff. And and uh, so we. That's the last time I stepped on the mat. It was like three years ago or so. And and just kind of did a little coaching clinic out there and but yeah I I and I got some good buddies that they that we built a barn here probably a year ago you know with all COVID stuff going on we built a big 60 by 40 and, and now it's full of wrestling mats and they got a pretty good little program going on Tim Taylor and uh Jason Kutz um they got a good kids club and and I've I haven't really felt the itch to get in there, but I'm starting to feel the obligation, you know, to, to, you know, give back a little bit to the sport. That's so good. Especially when you're the, a product of a great coach, you know, cause you've not, everyone's been exposed to that. And so you got blessed to be around this legendary elementary school and middle school coach and, and high school coach. And now, I mean, not everyone, some kids grow up in the boondocks. They don't have that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And, and there are little things that, you know, I would like to, you know, put my point on and just steal from Mr. Sprague, you know, all the things that he had. Well, I, you probably don't know this name, but like Mr. Sprague, he found Pavel Kotzen, which was a Russian Olympian down in the streets of Portland and, and brought him in, you know, like he just saw his ears and he was just an innovator in everything. And, and wow. like, so Pavel Kotzen, he was one of my, and he was Greco, and he was one of my first influences in, in that kind of area. Did you ever think of yourself as a Greco guy, or did you just do both? Oh, I did them both. I always loved Greco. Um, sometimes I, like even one of the biggest decisions, when the reason why I went Greco afterwards, the number one reason was because of the Army program. They did have a freestyle team, but it was completely geared more. I, so I felt that that was a safer program as far as longevity is. And I, you know, and the freestyle program continued, but that's here nor there. But I, it was just really geared around um, Greco. So that was just kind of an easy choice, you know, after, after college. So how does that work? Do you become an army soldier and then you're, you're just training full time? Pretty much. I mean, you were there, there's no paperwork saying that, that you will be on the team. And I actually, you know, Naradka, Glenn Naradka, he, he's, uh, he was on the team. And so I was like, all right, you need to, you know, he told me all about it. So long story short, I, me and my brother, we signed up and, and we went on to basic and AIT and I got to uh, Fort Carson. I was able to choose my duty station, which luckily, because it took me like during the 2000 Olympics, my brother kind of got in 
pretty early. My unit was not necessarily letting me go. Why? And uh, well, because I was a soldier. They and they don't. Well, matter of fact, first first conversation I had with my platoon sergeant, he's like, he's a nice guy, and he's like, can I buy you a soda? And buys me a soda. And is there anything I can do for you? And I was like, well, actually, there's this program. You know, it's called the World Class Athlete Program, and I kind of want to, you know, get into it. And he slapped me on the shoulder and he's like, well, that's not going to happen. And a long story short, I kind of had to, we went, so when, when Rulon Gardner won, was, was beaten, uh, Corellan, uh, I was actually the, at the NTC, that's the National Training Center, where it's ba basically a month long preparing for battle. I mean, talking live action, except for bullets, you know, and and, you know, I was driving fuel trucks around and doing all these, you know, fun things. And just to the point where I realized that I was pro I probably was going to be stuck in this in the army for a while. But I, at the time I had my wife, Lisa, and our youngest or oldest, Gracie. And I was like, well, they're taken care of, you know, I'm getting money. So and then I kind of talk to a couple people and then all of a sudden by the grace of God, boom, I'm in. And, and it happened quick. And it was, so like during the 2000 Olympics, I was not even, I didn't see any of them. I was gone that entire month. And you're like getting ready to, to go into combat battle. Yeah, this was, yeah, this was before, this was before, you know, um, this is right before nine 11. So yeah. Um, that didn't happen until I was actually in the world-class athlete program, but, you know, you can be removed at any time when in, uh, you know, and get sent back to a unit, there's nothing that you know, guarantees you. I mean, it's pretty secure. Actually it is secure, but, but it's just not guaranteed like a hundred percent. It's crazy to me to think that someone at your caliber of wrestling will go in though and not have the ability just to call like, the team USA Greco coach and be like, yo, connect me with a WCAP coach and let's get this going. Like that's crazy. Well, yeah, the, the army's a lot bigger than I am though. You know, and it's <laughs> yeah, and, they, and they have a very important yeah, yeah. And they have a very important job and and uh yeah, yeah, it's it was good. It was good. And, and what helped me, like it was probably the best thing that happened to me because I appreciated it. You know, like I wasn't like I just got in right away and I realized, hey, how how big of a deal and how important this is and how privileged I am to, you know, get an opportunity to represent the army in that way. Absolutely. And what's the day in the so life was, like it, in that program? It was well, it's two workouts a day. You know, you have a morning workout, just pretty much like every every and then there's there's definitely some obligations that you do. Like we did a lot of terror missions, like going, telling people about like what we do in the army. Like we went to hundreds of different schools and, and, uh, just kind of, a just kind of, a, a like they use this as a recruiting tool. And then yep. I hope I didn't touch. Them. No, you're good. you're good. Anyways. And so, yeah. And then you've got to stay proficient with your weapons. And, and so it, like there's some, there's some army responsibilities. But basically, it's outside of that. It's twice a day workouts, and you're you're a professional athlete. And then going into the exactly. two thousand the two thousand four Olympic trials, 
how what did how had your uh, senior career gone up to that point? Well, I've been on a couple of uh, uh, national teams and stuff, but but I'd never 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 really cracked the the number one spot, and so but I felt pretty good that year. I remember feeling real good and and started you know doing a little extra and and it was it was a good run. What memories do you have of the Olympic trials in Indianapolis? So I was, you know, Farouk, he was removed from the number one spot because of a failed test. And so I was now the number one, I took second at nationals. And uh, so I was waiting for whoever came out of the bracket, which was, there was a lot of pretty tough dudes in there. And Kevin Bracken came out and, and, uh, and I pinned him the first match, and I could beat him three or four to five to zero the second match. I've actually, if anyone ever knows how you could find, I've never seen those matches on video. I can't find them anywhere. Wow. The, the two matches to make the team. I bet I, uh, <laughs> I bet someone at USA Wrestling could track them down, or maybe Doc Bennett could track them down. But I have asked Zadik. 50 times and he's like i can't find them and what so i don't know i you know is nsnbc what it, yeah. is that the right and i've tried to go through them and blah 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 anyways i've just never seen the matches i would like to see them well that's a personal challenge that this podcast will take on anyone listening or or myself yeah. if we find them we'll get them to you oscar wood no question that'd be awesome <laughs> and, and once you made the olympic team i mean everyone asks you the moment, but is it what you thought it would be? Well, it took me a while to, um, we, like, I really thought I was going to get a medal and I'll tell you, I went in there just, I cannot believe how, how far off I got off the game plan. I mean, I tried a belly to belly in the first, I was wrestling, it was in Athens and I'm wrestling the Greek the first round. And, and I mean, I tried a belly to belly, which I almost got. I mean, he, he floated it just it, yeah. barely. And, uh, and I was just too aggressive actually in some, in some ways I should have, should have zoned it down. Then it got to a point where I have to pin people to have a chance to, you know, to advance. Cause that was back during that. And so I had to go and just ex- open up and, and just go for it, which, in some ways is good, but it took me a couple of years to actually to not have that a disappointment feeling more. But now it's I'm extremely happy for the the, um, the experience. It was it was great. You know, we competed at the end, so it wasn't like there was a whole bunch of sightseeing. We were there a month, but we just didn't really leave the the village when it, we started competing, and we didn't really leave. I think it was American Greek of college of Greece or something that this campus that we were on and we just stayed, you know, pretty much there and, and trained. Did you go to the opening ceremonies? Yes, we did. That was pretty cool. That was, that was pretty funny. Yeah. The biggest memory about that was a bunch of the freestyle wrestlers were running around getting autographs and they're like, we want it. We want Yao Ming's that's Yao Ming, right? The big yeah. tall basketball player from China. Yeah. And I can't remember who it was, it might have even been Cormier, or, or I, but I was like, there he is, because you could see him. He was like 100 yards away, but 
he was just standing up over the entire crowd like when we were all on the the middle part and they took off running after whoever it was and went and got his autograph it was funny that whole experience must have been something that i mean i heard the whole process takes you know a really long time though by the time you're waiting and you get out there it's an ordeal it was it was and then you know i can remember lots of you know it's almost like the army going through and getting all your gear you know and this stage this stage and getting your passes your credentials and and um it was it was different it was different one thing i do remember about the wrestling part is for some reason i so glenn naraka was my training partner and i couldn't they he we couldn't get him in to warm up and we had this routine where like we would actually beat each other up you know we would you know fight and wrestle hard and it was it was we would have this wrestling match and long story short I ended up warming up with Sean Lewis, which is, you know, the head coach, but he had his tennis shoes on and it just quite wasn't the, the same. I still don't know why Nareka couldn't get in there because that definitely was not a, was not a good start to, to that moment. But. And everyone I ask about the and, Olympics, they say it's just so different and like, it's just so overwhelming that there's a, so much going on. It's, it's hard to stay into your rhythm. Yeah. Well, that was right after, our experience was probably a little different because man, when the USA chance would start, it would be an instant, everyone else in the building, you know, booing and hissing and whistling. And, and so there wasn't a whole bunch of USA chance and, uh, but it was, uh, because of the wars or it was, yes, because that's, you know, right. 2004 it's we're in full heat, you know, yeah. Go of it. And, uh, but it was, I do remember feeling that you like, you could feel the electricity and the, you could feel every, the presence of just excitement in, in that building. I do remember that, but. So in the years afterwards, what was the turning point to help you move on from it and have a positive reflection of it? I think it had a lot to do with my children talking about it and, and just kind of, you know, and then just, you know, sometimes things just don't go your way. And I, you know, I made a team and, and just looking about it in a different perspective of, you know, actually what it was instead of what it wasn't. And I think that that probably helped, you know, a lot. And the reason I ask is that, you know, a lot of people listen to the show. have always got, you know, maybe have gone through something in the wrestling world or even in their personal lives. And, you know, it takes years to get over it you know and so to hear someone like yourself who's been at the highest level and achieved the the point zero 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 one percent of wrestling it's just so crazy to think that now a lot of the people who are at your level expect so much of themselves that when it doesn't go their way it's hard for them to to move on from it even though to the outside world like us you're like man oscar wood's a freaking olympian but you guys expect uh-huh. so much of yourself you know well yeah yeah i mean well, everyone's like that. I, you know, I think to a certain extent, every wrestler and I mean, whatever level, like, I don't care if it's the JV district tournament, still want to win it, you know, like, and disappointments, disappointment, no matter what level it is. And just like, you know, you know, hard is hard and, (laughs) and, you know, and no one likes to lose. And I just think that whatever level it is, it, it, uh, you know, it's, but it's, they always say, you know, 
you learn more from a loss than a win. And it, it is true, you know, I mean, it really is. But certain, when it gets to a certain point where you have no more matches to lose, well, it does you no good to lose the last one, <laughs> you know, or, or yeah. whatever. But it also, but it teaches you, as you know, I mean, this is life, life skills. And, and like, I hope, you know, my best days are, they're still in front of me, you know, I got grandchildren now and, and that's the fun, you know, been married this year will be 25 years and, and got my third grandchild on the way. And, and congratulations, my youngest, thank you. My youngest boy's a senior in high school. I got three older daughters and like, that's what's, you know, just a Christmas morning or just walking into church together. That's, you know, that's the real, like the everyday life, you know, and, but boy, it sure was a fun, was a fun, great sport though. Teaches you a lot about life. What's the one thing that sticks out to you, the biggest impact that wrestling's given you? Well, number one, it would have to be, this is going to sound, but I, you know, went to Oregon State and I met my wife the very first day of college. So number one, I got her because I wouldn't went to college if it wasn't for wrestling, that's for sure. They used to ask me what my uh, major was, and I told them eligibility, <laughs> just to try to <laughs> stay eligible. And I, I did it. I did it. But uh, so I'd say I would just say just learning how, you know, dealing with, you know, tough things, tough things. I mean, wrestling, wrestling was a extremely tough sport, very re rewarding and and. You know, sometimes things don't go your way that, you know, you can't control and, and control what you can control. And, and I, I would say that's pretty, pretty much the gist of it. And, but how about the friends though? Like, right. There's something about wrestlers that there's something about, I mean, these guys, it's, I got other good buddies, but it's, you can always count on a wrestler and there's probably a couple of them that have been dirt bags, like not, I'm talking not my friends, but you know, in the world, there might be a few, but not really. I mean, wrestling is, it creates good men, I think. Yeah. I mean, think about all the attributes you were just describing. If you apply those to any person's life, they're going to have a good life, right? Control what you can control, overcome difficulty. That's the, that's the ingredients for some satisfaction later in life. I believe so. I really do. Well, Oscar, this has been an awesome conversation. I have three questions from the audience. I got to run by you kind of rapid fire. Then we'll let you go, my friend. Okay. Perfect. All right. I've got a ton of, ton of requests, requests to have you talk about this. What memories do you have of your Fargo match with Eric Guerrero when he was a defending world champ and you were the defending Greco champ wrestling in the freestyle tournament? Well... I had already wrestled him two times that year. I wrestled him at the Southwest Regionals, and I beat him, beat him pretty good, detect him. And then I wrestled him at the, the what do you call those, the duels. We used to have those duels. Virginia or the national duels? The national team duels. This year it was in Oklahoma, I think. One year it was in Illinois. And oh, the junior freestyle duels or the junior Greco duels. Yeah. But yeah, it'd be Greco and freestyle. Okay. And I wrestled him there and I beat him not as bad, but it was still somewhere around 10-0. And then we wrestled in the junior national semifinals and he got real smart. He quit shooting. 
like he would stand there and and because I did have pretty good front headlock and and that was that was part of the, that was most of the deal with the you know the matches in the first bit but but I remember uh I think it was six to four was the final score um I do remember getting put down and you know knowing that I needed to not get turned and and I knew he was I knew how good he was you know he's always tough and and so like it was I tell you the truth I can't remember a whole bunch about it but I do remember going getting put down and and you know not getting turned there at the end and so and I think I scored I don't think I scored one front headlock on him in that match I think it was just gut wrenches and I think I got a takedown or two I don't know just think of like you say a long time it's funny you say that because you know when I was in my 20s I would ask people about big matches they had. And I'm like, how the hell can they not remember that? It's like one of the biggest matches of all time. But now as I'm 32 and I'm trying to think back to some of my high school matches and I'm like, I have no recollection of this match or that tournament. And I know 10 years ago, I could remember them with like tiniest detail. So I totally get it. You know, yeah. it, it makes a, that, yeah. I mean, shit, your senior year of high school and uh, a semifinal match at Fargo, you know, you had so many of them. Um, yeah. Well, that was definitely one a lot of people have asked about because, you know, Chael Sonnen's been on the show a bunch of times and uh -huh. he he's just, funny. he's funny, man. <laughs> he talks about you every chance he can get. And he always tells me the story about the Eric Guerrero match at junior regionals. Uh, and then I didn't know you guys matched, matched up at Fargo later that year. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, that, that bracket at the Southwest regionals, that was, that bracket was stacked. Yeah. There, there was a lot of guys that thing i can't remember their names but i remember like willie weinberg and i'm gonna forget a whole bunch at casey uh oh i can't remember man we'll dig it up don't worry we'll good. dig it up man come on, come on quick we'll dig it up all right next next question who's the best guy you ever wrestled in a match Um, I will tell you the one that I felt I don't remember his name. I felt like little if we were in Hungary. And this guy had this two on one that I just could not, I could not escape his. I mean, just on me, like you know, stink on one of the Russian countries. I can't remember that, but he was a world champ, Olympic champ. Um, but man, he just made me feel, it was like the, my first or second year in the army and he was just a Greco beast and just mauled, just mauled you. Everybody, everybody I have on from the Greco world, like Dennis Hall and, uh, McAfari, they all say they're like, America has no idea how much better the rest of the world is at Greco. Like the, every country in Eastern Europe is really good at Greco. Not all of them are really good at freestyle, right? He, he thinks the competitiveness uh -huh. of Greco worldwide is a lot deeper than freestyle, which is really hard for Americans oh. to believe. Oh, it is. That is, that is very true. I mean, it's there a lot of the country's national sport and they're number one, you know, they, a lot of them love it. Of course they love freestyle too. But you know, more but than Gre more than freestyle, they like Greco more. I think I think that I've, I you know, there's no way to confirm that, but I've heard it from a lot of people, yeah. you know, that that themselves even. 
Yeah, I mean, they uh, the Greco guys are adamant about it. They're like, there's a lot of countries that have like freestyle. There's not as much parody. And uh, Greco, though, like even like Lithuania might have some good guys. You know, there's a there's a lot of parody all across Europe in the Greco scene. I really, I really believe that definitely. It's, it's some yeah, they're, t- they're some tough dudes. I'll tell you that. I didn't know if maybe you'd say uh, T.J. Williams. I know you guys wrestled in the All Star Meet in '99, and I don't know if you ever wrestled yeah. him again. But do you remember that scrap? I do. The re- reason why I remember it uh, um, is because the first double A he shot on me. I could not believe when he dropped down to his knees. And his hands were behind my knees. I'd never experienced such long arms. And so he took me down like two times pretty quick. He didn't get another takedown. But then when he got up, I was still kind of on my knees. And it was after the end of it, it was either the first or second round. And he walked kind of through me. And so, you know, what he put in my face. Yeah. And so I stood up. I stood up and like threw him and, uh, and then, <laughs> then we had a very, very bloody match the next couple rounds. He won. Uh, but then I, the good thing was, is I went to Zadix, uh, the Zadix, you know, training camp in Montana. And TJ was uh, also a clinician over there. And so we got to know each other pretty good. And, and so it was nice to know him on a different, you know, level. And so that was pretty fun. I do remember this. At one of the, uh, I, my brother Isaac wrestled him, and Isaac was beating him three to zero, and TJ reached across and slapped Isaac. Isaac slapped him back in double disqualification. <laughs> that, that was that was in a that was in a tennis court in Illinois. One year it was there. What we wrestled the du- the duels in his tennis club. Yeah, and like it was it was a tennis club. It was like in. I think it was like in 90, I, I don't know if that was junior, sophomore, I, you know, I don't remember. Is this high school or is this college? High school. Wow. High school. I mean, Isaac had a, a good one going on. Man, there's so many good guys during yeah. that era. Unbelievable amount of guys. You know, just the, uh, the Terrapellis of the world, Tony Davis, you know, all those guys are just so tough. You know, and then you and your brother are in there and, you know, that's the thing, like Midwesterners don't know a lot about the Pacific Northwest tradition. So I'm always happy to have guys on, you know, from your from your era, because it was really strong back then. And, you know, Mark Johnson, an Illinois legend, people forget that he was the head coach of Oregon State for a couple of years there and then left to come yeah. back to lead Illinois. But just think if he would have stayed, it, you know, oh, it have gone on. I thought you know? about that lots of times. I thought about that lots of times. Have you? But you were talking about, yeah. Oh, Mark Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Glenn Rack always tells a story that Mark Johnson made Glenn pee his pants. Like they were warming <laughs> up, running around the, and all of a sudden, you know, Johnson was running, sprinting at him and yelled and the racket turned around and just fell down and peed his pants. Cause, <laughs> because that's how, <laughs> that's what a force he was and stuff. But you were talking about Oregon and stuff, but come and I was telling about my wife earlier, you know how my brother, me and my brother doubled my junior year, his, my senior year, his junior year, well, my future brother-in-law doubled also from Oregon, Kenny Cox. Really? Uh, yeah, so he was he doubled that same tournament. So that Oregon was three, had three, three double champs. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh my God. And, and that year. So he, and I ended up marrying his, I ended up marrying his uh, sister like three years later. I didn't know Lisa at the time. I didn't even know that Kenny had sisters. So were your kids wrestlers? You and you and Lisa, since both of the families are big wrestling families. Um, my youngest son, he wrestled for, and like the last tournament he wrestled, he pinned his three guys, and but he has scoliosis, and so he's got a rod in his back, and you'd never be able to tell the difference. But um, uh, so he wrestled till he's like probably seven or eight, and and but. Now it's definitely sound like I'm bragging, but he's a phenomenal artist. Like the things that he can do is not even anything. He can do anything. And uh, like painting or drawing, painting, drawing, he can make your, he can draw your face. I mean, you look just exactly like you. I don't know. I can get how someone can draw a face, but I don't get how he can capture your face, you know, kind of a deal. It's so, so he's, he, it's a, it's a great Avenue that he took and, and, tough kid but just wasn't meant to be a wrestler anyways and so it's perfect that's and then i have my and i I my i had three daughters one of them wanted to wrestle but she was a little claustrophobic so so when she got balled up she's like i think i'm done (laughs) (laughs) it's uh it's cool your son's an artist though and like he's at the high level in his thing you know yeah yeah he's won lots of national awards and stuff and so he's you might hear him someday we might have to commission him for a drawing of the show. Get get some new art up oh, yeah. in the studio oh, he could, here. Oh, he could get you. He could get you. That's awesome, man. Well, Oscar Wood, man, this has been a real pleasure. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, man, really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Nice to get to know you. Yes, sir. Take care, man. Uh, all right, buddy. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. To see video clips from this interview, please go to Instagram at Wrestling Change My Life. This episode was proudly presented by Spartan Combat. The Spartan Combat Nationals are returning to Jacksonville, Florida, April 8th through the 10th, 2022. Register now at SpartanCombat.com.